There are many beliefs and ideas that consume our culture. These beliefs guide and direct our daily lives, but not all of them are 100% true or beneficial to us. So how do we know which beliefs and ideas to buy into? As Christians, we want to go straight to the source, the Bible. We believe that God loves us and wants to be with us. That passion has caused him to go to considerable lengths to interact with us. The Bible tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. At the core of humanity is the problem that sin has separated every person from God. The Bible also tells us this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Knowing that we could not deal with sin on our own, God sent His only Son, Jesus, to pay for our sin. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is the foundation of all Christian belief, that salvation is humanity's greatest need, that it is a free gift from God, and that it is received exclusively by grace through faith in Jesus. Jesus himself tells us this in the Bible when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is our greatest truth, straight from the source. No additives, no preservatives, no artificial flavors. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Grace This Weekend. It's good to see you guys, and uh, welcome everybody who's uh, watching online and at the Montrose Building and our live sites. Uh, thanks for being with us as well. Uh, my name is Pastor Jeff. If I haven't met you, if you've come here in the last few weeks, I've been uh, traveling quite a bit, teaching uh, other places across uh, the summer, so I would love to connect with you if I haven't done that yet, and I would love to meet you if you're here at Gent Road after the service uh, out in the cafe, or uh, come to Discovery. Even if you're watching um, online, do that. Come into Discovery Group, and I'll uh, lead the first part of that. Would love to meet you there as well. And we're kind of getting back into the rhythm of things here at Grace because uh, the school year is starting. So some of you went back to school this last week, and some of you rejoiced in the Lord always because the children went back to school this last week. And some of you will go back to school this week, and so parents, just hold out hope. God still loves you, and he will prove that Monday morning. And so uh, we're just kind of getting into that groove, and we're doing the same thing here at church. So like, keep your eyes open for life groups and Bible studies and youth ministries and children's ministries. All that stuff is going to start kind of firing back up as uh, we get out of our, our summer mode and into our school year mode and I uh, hope that you're a part of that. And we're doing that on the weekends, too. I'm kind of uh, here more now and kind of getting into that groove. And we're kind of kicking all that off with this series uh, that we're calling No Additives, No Preservatives, No Artificial Flavors. We started it last week. And uh, what we're doing is we're just taking a look at some of the core teachings of the Christian faith. And we're doing that. We do this every once in a while because there's lots of stuff out there, right? So there, there's lots of ideas about God's word and Christianity and following Christ that are out there. Some of the ideas are really old, but they're not really in the Bible. We're just kind of used to them. Some of them are newer, like the last hundred years or so, kind of different views. But when you compare it against the scripture, it's not there so much. Some of them are just out of the blue and like have nothing to do with the scripture at all. And so we just said, why don't we take a little bit of time, hit some of these big subjects that are out there, because they come across our phones, right? Like we, we see these things or somebody discovered that, or this is the new rage or article kind of a thing. And we just said, let's look at some of those and let's just dig into the scripture and see what the Bible actually says uh, kind of put a baseline in for ourselves so that by knowing that baseline and knowing that core truth, when we, when we hear these new ideas or encounter them, we're able to evaluate them and, and see what can be ruled in, what should be ruled out, and more kind of where God would have us to be, where the Bible is, where Christianity has been kind of historically, we call that orthodoxy, what, we, what most Christians have believed most of the time kind of the core of those things, and just see where we land with it. So we started that process uh, last weekend, and we started just 
kind of at the beginning, and we said, let's just talk about salvation. Uh, what is salvation? Why do we need it? Where does it come from? And we said that salvation is something that every human being needs. We need saved, rescued, ransomed, renewed, reborn, all these metaphors that the Bible uses. But the scripture is kind of clear about that. The scripture is clear that Jesus is the only source of salvation. So he came to earth, he lived, he laid his life down, he took it up again. And it's through him and him alone that we can receive salvation. And when we ask for it, when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and allow us to connect with him. And so long conversation, we just kind of boiled it down to its very, very essence. And if you uh, weren't able to be here, grab that one. It's a big one. So grab that online or on the podcast or the app and, and check that one out. And we just said all everything that's Jesus plus or Jesus minus isn't in the book, right? And so those are ideas. Some of them are old ideas. Some of them are newer ideas. Some of them are out of the blue ideas, but none of them are in the book. And so it boils down to, to that. Now this weekend, I want to advance that conversation and I want to grab another one of these uh, kind of topics that are out there. That if you're around the church, uh, whether you're a Christ follower or thinking about it, uh, you're going to run into this topic. It's kind of a, of a hot one right now. And that is the person of the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? How do we interact with him? And it, it becomes a kind of a big, big conversation. If you're a Christ follower, uh, what this conversation will do is bring some clarity for you. Uh, because it, 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 there's just a lot, like you just get out there on the internet and there's a lot out there about who the Holy Spirit, what he's about. So I want to clarify that for you and kind of get you into the core of what God's word says. If you're not a Christ follower, this conversation is going to be kind of more instructive or enlightening for you. Uh, so if you, if you hung around the church world or the Christian world a little bit, you probably heard about the Holy Spirit. The old timers called him the Holy Ghost. And so maybe you heard about that. And it sounds weird, and what is that, and what are you guys doing, and why are they talking about that? And so hopefully this will clarify that a little bit for you and to help you get your head around it. But the Bible is clear that the Holy Spirit is someone that we interact with as a follower of Jesus Christ, right? So for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit and his role and his work in our life is actually a big deal. And it's a normal deal. It's not weird or out there. It's just spiritual. It's, it's to be kind of this normal, everyday part of what it means for us to know and to follow Jesus. So I'm going to bring some clarity to that. So let's just talk about that a little bit. The Holy Spirit, who is he, what's he do, and how do we interact with him? Let's start at the beginning with who is he, who's the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we call him the third person of the Godhead. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about the essence of Jesus, like the spirit of Jesus. We're not talking about like the God ghost, like, you know, God sends the Holy Spirit on secret ninja missions to do things for us. But we're talking about God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When you look at the scripture, what, what we call this often is the Trinity that it's God in three persons and it's the Godhead or the Trinity. One of the places in the Bible where you see the Trinity is in Matthew chapter three. So Matthew chapter three, verse 16 and 17, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water and at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And this is one of the places in scripture where you see the Trinity. So you see God the Father watching his kid get baptized and God the Father's like, I, that's my son, I love him, I'm pleased with him. You see God the Son, Jesus, being baptized. You see him in the flesh for real. And then you see God the Holy Spirit who descends from heaven in the form of a dove and, and alights on Jesus. And you see the three of them in one place. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Best uh, description of the Holy Spirit I ever got, I got in the third grade from my Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Riggs, and she said, uh, this is how, how you can think about the Holy Spirit. She said, think about an egg, 
an egg is three things that equals one thing. Three things that equals one thing. So an egg has a shell, an egg has a white, an egg has a yolk. All three of those things are equally egg. And if you remove any one of the three, you no longer have an egg, right? So the shell is egg, the white is egg, the yolk is egg. If you pull any one of the three out, you don't have an egg anymore. But they all are one thing, even though they each have distinctive and, and purposeful roles that they play in being that one thing. So God the Father is God. We tend to be able to get our head around that a little bit. It makes sense to us. God the Son, Jesus, is God, right? He's the focal point of our lives, the focal point of the worship and work of the church. And then God the Spirit is God. And he's a part of our lives. And the Bible says that as a believer, as a Christian, he's a big part of our lives. In fact, it's interesting what, what Jesus said. Jesus says to his disciples, he's like, actually, God the Holy Spirit it is the person of God that you are going to and want to hang out the most with. Uh, in this passage, I'm going to show you, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and uh, he's getting ready to go back to heaven. And the disciples are like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going up to heaven. And they're like, uh, hey, man, like you kind of got us into this, <laughs> and now you're going to heaven, and we're here. And Jesus says, actually, fellas, you want it that way. It's going to be better for you if I go because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He says this in John 16. He says, very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus would look and say, actually, now, now that things are a little bit different, right? It's not the Old Testament anymore, uh, I came to earth, I lived, I laid my life down, I took it back up again. The book of Acts, Jesus starts the church, and so we're a part of like this next chapter, so to say, of God's work. Uh, Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, in this kind of chapter of history of my work on, in the world, that for the church, the Holy Spirit is like a big deal. And you want him. You, you might think if Jesus was with us all the time, it'd be easier to believe because I could see him or talk to him or do miracles with him. And Jesus is like, no, actually, I got something better for you. It's the, the Holy Spirit. He's my gift to you. And the Holy Spirit for the church, the individual parts and the sum total of the parts, the, the Holy Spirit is, is like the deal, right, that we would live with and interact with. The Apostle Paul later on, he says, he says the Holy Spirit lives in us, right? And so he says this, he says, actually, if you're a Christian, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why we don't unite our bodies in immorality or sin or those kind of things, because it's God, God in us. I was reading an author uh, this week, uh, getting ready for this conversation. He said something interesting. He said, he said, if you think of Jesus as God with us, that's the word Emmanuel means God with us. He said, if you think of Jesus as God with us, think of the Holy Spirit as God in us, right? So you'll hear, you'll hear that described if you're around the church much. You'll say, uh, God lives in my heart or God is with me or, or, or God uh, walks with me. Or, I feel like God's presence. All that is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is, would look and say, that, that's better than even me. I want that. And for the Christian, that is a normal and natural thing. It's not mystical. It's not, you know, Jesus superpower stuff. It, it, but it's spiritual. And it's this normal, natural part of our walk and our interaction with God. And what the Apostle Paul teaches us is that when we ask for the forgiveness of our sin... When we believe what God says about us, that we're sinners, and what God says about himself, that Christ is our Savior, and we confess our sins, that at the moment we do that, we receive or are given or are filled, these are all kind of like descriptions that we use, with the Holy Spirit. He says this in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, so I, I'm now a Christ follower so as a Christ follower, he says this, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those 
who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory. And so Paul says, right, when you accepted Christ, the moment you accepted Christ, not later on, not when you were baptized or when somebody prayed over you or you had like a, a, a spiritual happening, but at that moment that you accepted Christ, you were sealed, a deposit was laid down on heaven for you, and it was the presence or the reception or sometimes we call it the filling of the Holy Spirit, right? And so for the believer, that's a normal part of who I am, that God is not just with me, he is in me, he resides within me, and he journeys with me and walks with me through, through all of my Christian life, okay? Now, if you were looking back at uh, church history or what we call orthodoxy, pretty much from the time that Jesus spoke and, and the scripture was written till about 100 years ago or so, that was Christian orthodoxy. You will not find many people who are Christians who will disagree with what I just taught you about who the Holy Spirit is that he's the third person of the Trinity, that he is God, uh, that, that he was given to us by Christ, given to the church, and that we receive him at the moment that we accept him as our savior. Other things that would say you get him later on or you gotta do those things, those are actually pretty new teachings in the history of the church. But for the bulk of, of the church, you're gonna find that that orthodoxy is generally accepted and that that's what most of us believe is certainly what Grace Church believes, okay? So that part is fairly settled. Anything that's more than that is kind of new and, and needs to be looked at closely. The part of the Holy Spirit that becomes confusing and the part of the Holy Spirit that, that becomes a little bit misunderstood, I believe, is not who he is, it's what he does, right? So what, what does it mean or what are the ramifications of me having the Holy Spirit in me and me being filled with the Holy Spirit? What, what does that mean and how does that show up in, in our lives in real time? And when you start talking about what the Holy Spirit does, you're going to find a, a broad array of opinions. In fact, if you want to do something fun, Google the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or slain in the Spirit and watch the videos. Like you, you should get a pizza and like watch the videos. Like it's, it's pretty amazing what, you, what you're gonna run into, right? And that's kind of in that world of what does he do kind of a thing. And when you start talking about not who the Holy Spirit is, but what he does, what you're gonna find is that pretty quickly people will run to one or two extremes, right? You're gonna find extremes in those areas, okay? So let's talk about these two extremes for a second. On one end of that extreme, what you're gonna find is a, a kind of a, a, a school of thought that is very experientially based and very hyper-personalized. So very experientially based and very hyper-personalized. So if you get your pizza and watch your videos, that's what you're gonna find. You're gonna find church services or concerts where people have gathered together and they're gonna be inviting the Holy Spirit into that place. And then they're gonna look and say, look what the Spirit of God has, is doing or has done. Usually there's a lot of music, there's lighting, there's a lot of climactic moments. And at that climactic moment, you'll see an extreme of people saying this is what the Holy Spirit does. <clears throat> so you'll see everything from people talking and with weird noises and weird languages, they call it speaking in tongues. And so you'll, you'll kind of see that and hear that. Uh, <clears throat> you will find people laughing in the spirit, uh, people barking in the spirit people screeching like eagles in the spirit. Uh, you will find people slain by the spirit. So they'll, they, they'll collapse. And sometimes many of them will collapse. Sometimes they flail on the ground uh, because they're in the spirit. Uh, you'll see uh, preachers preaching. And at the climactic moment of their preaching, they'll wave their arms or their suit jackets and all these people will fall over in, in, the, in the spirit. And you'll find that hyper-experiential stuff, and that's an extreme. That's why I'm talking about an extreme now. You'll kind of find it over there. The same camp, you'll find that there's a hyper-personalized part of being led by or filled with the Spirit. So in that camp, 
uh, people will come to other people and say, um, the spirit told me to tell you that you're supposed to do this or that. Or they'll say things like, God told me, or I believe God wants you to. And people will have insights that are about you specifically. They're not necessarily based in the scripture, but they're kind of based on what somebody thinks they think God wants you to do or not do. Sometimes it's hyper-personalized, like, hey, God told me we're supposed to go out, <laughs> you know? So, you know, that's weird, but it worked with Heidi. And so, like, <clears throat> you can, right? So, but it, it's kind of like hyper-personalized, I have this connection from God, and it's the Holy Spirit, right? And that's an extreme. Please hear me say that. It's an extreme, okay? And in that extreme, when you watch that or see it or you're around it, what you're going to find is it, it feels like some level of, like, chaos. Like, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of subwoofer. There's a lot of whatever going on. And it's very chaotic. And what's fascinating is when you take that extreme and you push it into scripture, what you'll find is that the apostle Paul will look at that and he'll actually specifically say, that's not what I want or what God wants. In fact, I'll show you this. First Corinthians chapter 14, he would say this. <clears throat> He'd say, in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So he would say when the church is gathered and there's a service, you can kind of think of it that way. He's like, I would rather have five words that are, we would say today, from God's word, which was, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So from God's word that is instructing people about who Christ is and how to follow him. I would rather have that than all of these extreme experiences because this is more valuable. In fact, he goes on, same passage, he says this. He says, tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for the unbelievers but for the believers. So Paul says there, there, there's a place for tongues but it's actually for evangelism. When he talks about tongues, he's talking about the day of Pentecost, which is when the church was birthed. And this is what happened on the day of Pentecost. The, the, the apostles were teaching about Jesus at a multinational, multicultural uh, gathering where many, many different languages were spoken. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit came and <clears throat> came on them like tongues of fire, and they were able to teach about Christ to people who had never heard it before and didn't understand the language. So think of it this way. Think, think, if you think of yourself looking and saying, I know nothing about Jesus. No Christmas, no Easter, no nothing. Nothing about Jesus. Jeff is going to teach me about Jesus, but he only speaks English, which is true, by the way. And you only speak and understand French. How am I going to tell you about Jesus when there's a language barrier? And at the day of Pentecost, God did a miracle. He did a miracle where I could speak in English and you could understand me in French, right? And it was for the unbeliever so that you could know Christ. And as you heard that, you would say, I know him. He only knows, he only knows English and I know that I only know French. Why can I understand everything that he is saying and teaching me about my Messiah or about the Messiah and the good news right now? And that was speaking in a tongue. So Paul says, that's, that was for the unbeliever to, to cross this barrier that needed to be crossed. It was a, a miraculous thing, like Jesus walking on water, raising somebody from the dead. It was a miracle that happened. He says, prophecy is for the believer, though. Prophecy is kind of what I'm doing right now. I'm taking God's word, and I'm teaching it to you as truth. So I'm not, I'm not saying my opinion is, or what do you guys think? I'm like, no, God's word says this about the Holy Spirit. So I'm teaching it as truth. And the Bible says that's for the believer so that we can have a deeper insight on who Christ is, on God's will for our life. We can encourage one another in that. And in this same passage, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, that's what I want happening in the public church meetings 
if an unbeliever or a inquirer comes into a public church meeting and they see this representation of the Holy Spirit and the tongues, all that kind of stuff, they're going to have no idea what that is. It's going to be confusing and scary. But if they hear prophecy, if they hear the teaching of God's word, they can hear it, they can grasp it, and they can understand it and respond to it. But he goes on later in the passage, and he says, that they will fall down and worship God, explaining God is really among you because of prophecy. Because that is what's happening in that, that public setting. So when you think of that extreme, what's the Holy Spirit do? Well, he does this incredible stuff, and it's crazy, and these experiences, or I have, a, I have a personal connection with God. And so when you think of that extreme, the Apostle Paul would, would look and say, no, that's not what I'm looking for. Right? I'm, I'm not looking for Christian events or Christian relationships that are represented that way in the name of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's one extreme. Now, the other extreme that often is kind of common in, in, in circles is the extreme in which the Holy Spirit is an academic pursuit and an intellectual pursuit. So we're going to have a seminar on the Holy Spirit. Here's the, here's the 35 things the Holy Spirit does. He does nothing else. And if he doesn't do these 35 things, then it's a demon. It's not a Holy Spirit. And, and that's who he is. And the Holy Spirit is theology. The Holy Spirit is a doctrine. The Holy Spirit is a list. And you memorize those things. And you know about those things. And you kind of acknowledge them because they're in the Bible and you have to. But you really don't want the Holy Spirit to ever like affect anything and change anything because it gets outside of the box. Right? And, and the Holy Spirit is kind of cold and academic and a thing, right? We wouldn't talk about God the Father that way. We wouldn't talk about God the Son that way, but we would categorize God the Holy Spirit that way. He's like a necessary thing, but that's all that he is. Now, this is what's fascinating. The, the same Apostle Paul who looked and said, this extreme is not where the church is to be, that same Apostle Paul looks and says, that extreme is also not where the church is to be. That's not at all what, what Jesus intended when he gave the Holy Spirit. In fact, he says this in Romans chapter 8. He, said, he reminds us again, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. So this is after the forgiveness of our sin, right? We're talking about how do we interact with the Holy Spirit. He says, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Why? Why is there no condemnation? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So Paul says, the Holy Spirit isn't like this list or this concept, the Holy Spirit is somebody we live with. Later on, the apostles will talk about walking in the Spirit and with the Spirit. And so it's fascinating that the scriptures would look and say, yeah, the, 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 what's the Holy Spirit do? Well, he doesn't do chaos. He doesn't do that. I mean, that's, that's not it. Well, what's he do? Well, he doesn't do this either. He's not a set of facts that you memorize. Well, what's he do then? Well, he's a relationship. Just like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is somebody that as a Christ follower, I have a relationship with. I walk with him. I talk with him. I interact with him. He interacts with me. And, and, and it's not that or that. It's something very different. I saw this illustration uh, by this by this other teacher, and I liked it, so I stole it. And let me show you this a little bit. He, he described it this way. He says, when you think about the Holy Spirit, hang on. When you think about the Holy Spirit, don't throw him out like that. Think about the Holy Spirit this way. He says, the Holy Spirit kind of works like this in our life, right? This is chocolate syrup. He would say, the Holy Spirit isn't this. It's not like chocolate. 
And the Holy Spirit isn't like milk. It's neither one of those things. He's not this academic pursuit and he's not this experiential pursuit. He's not chocolate. He's not milk. The Holy Spirit fills us or indwells us. How much chocolate do you like in your milk? I don't, don't tell Heidi. I'm doing it. Mm, delicious, right? He says the Holy Spirit works like this. He becomes something different. It's not chocolate. It's not milk. It's chocolate milk. And chocolate milk is not a, it's not a compromise of milk and chocolate. Not a little bit of chocolate, a little bit of milk. It's a filling, a different, it's, it's, a, it's a new thing that's been created. The chocolate and the milk bond together. They, they permeate each other. They become a new thing, right? The, the biblical word that, that is used in Ephesians is, the old, is a, a Greek word that we get our word intoxicate from. It, it, it's, not, it's not drunkenness. It's not, it's not uh, having nothing in me. It's when I, I take something in and it, it bonds to me and changes me, Right? So it's, it's not get off this extreme and just do a little bit of that. And it's not get off this extreme and do a little bit of that. It's chocolate milk. The spirit of God indwells me, fills me, permeates every aspect of who I am. He, he, he transforms my mind. He alters my heart. He, he changes he changes my passions. He, he points me and helps me to Jesus. But he's not, he doesn't come and go as the music crescendos. And he's not set aside in a thing that I have to acknowledge because it's in the Bible and I'm a Bible student. It's a relationship that alters me and that is a normal, natural part of my everyday life. It's not weird, it's not cold, it's just spiritual. And I become this new thing. Now as this new thing, now that I'm chocolate milk, right? How is the spirit then gonna kind of show up? How, how do I kind of know I'm interacting with the spirit? What's he do? If he's not doing that, he's not doing that, what's he doing? So the Bible is gonna say he, he's gonna do things like this. For instance, the Holy Spirit's gonna call me to repentance. That's part of what he does. So if I'm not a believer yet, whenever you feel a tug on God to become a God follower, that is the Holy Spirit interacting with you. And it, it's basically the only way that he interacts with you. He draws you to repentance. As a believer, when I'm convicted of my sin, that's the Holy Spirit, right? It's not because I'm gonna lose my salvation because remember, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. That's been dealt with. When the Holy Spirit convicts me, it's not shame, it's not guilt, it's conviction. And the Holy Spirit's gonna look and say, hey, that, that thing, that part of scripture that you're just ignoring, that relationship that's unhealthy, that, that, that habit in your life that is hindering your walk with God and destroying your love for your neighbor, the reason that that won't go away and God kinda keeps it in front of you is the Holy Spirit is convicting you. That's actually you interacting with God, right? He calls us to repentance. The Bible says that he guides me and he leads me. These two ideas are, are pretty related, but he guides me and he leads me. What, what does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit's gonna look at me and he's gonna help me understand how do I, how do I apply the scripture in my life in a way that's unique to me? So you have important directives in the scripture that say things like this. They say, you, you need to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So we got all that, we're willing to, but what about my, what about my actual neighbor? I wanna love my neighbor as myself, but I live next to Bill. Like, what, how, do I, how do I love Bill? How do I share the love of Christ with Bill? How do I serve Bill, right? What, what are the specific ways 
that I take this passion that Christ has put in me and deliver it to my neighbor. That, that's the Holy Spirit. He's going to guide me. He's going to lead me. You're going to pray about that, and maybe God will bring something to your mind. You know, you think, you know what, I ought to invite Bill to a, a ball game. Or we, we should invite Bill and his family over for dinner. I feel like God wants me to do that. That's the way that we would describe those things. It's not really mystical. It's the Holy Spirit leading you. Sometimes he leads you to prayer. I, I was, um, a few weeks ago, I was traveling. I was in a different time zone, and Heidi called me real early in the morning, my time. And uh, I picked up the phone, because it's unusual that she would call me that early, and I picked up the phone, and I said, hey, how, how you doing? And she, she goes, I'm fine. She goes, she goes, is so-and-so okay? She like cut right to the point. Is so-and-so okay? I said, I think so. She said, did anything happen with so-and-so over, overnight? I said, well, I, not that I know of, nobody, nobody called me. She goes, she goes, I don't know what's going on with him, but the Lord woke me up and told me to pray for him like at 3 a.m. And so I did, and now he's on my heart, and so I called you, right, to, to see if you knew something. Well, what, that's not weird. That wasn't like Jesus standing over Heidi, Heidi, wake up. You know, that's, that's nothing weird about that. That was the Holy Spirit within her that was leading her, guiding her. For some reason, God wanted our friend prayed for, and he wanted Heidi to do it. So she did, right? So that's not, it's, it's not freaky, or hyper-experiential, but it's a leading, right, that, that God wanted her to do something specific. He didn't wake everybody up, right? He woke her up to pray for that guy. So he leads us, he guides us. Bible says he comforts us. He comforts us. It's a peace that surpasses understanding, the Bible says. So if you've ever gone through a hard time or a scary time and you're unusually calm, unusually uh, strong in it. Or if you ever heard somebody say, I, I just, you know, it's a difficult time. I just feel the presence of God. Or I don't know how people go through this if they don't have Christ in their life. They'll say things like that. What they're feeling is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It, he's ministering to us. That's, that's what it feels like to interact with him. It's not weird and it's not like this thing that I memorized. It's like a friend is with me, someone, a, a presence, a God loves me, is going to go with me through this time. Bible says he empowers us. He empowers us. So uh, imagine if you know that there's a, a relationship that's broken and you, you feel convicted and led that you need to go deal with this relationship. And so you talk to some friends and they're praying for you and you go have this conversation and you report back, how did it go? And you said something like, man, it was unbelievable. I, I felt like it wasn't even me talking, but I was just able to express my heart and express my love. And, and I don't know, God opened up some doors. I think maybe there was some healing there. I, I can't hardly explain it, but it's awesome. Well, what was that? That was the Holy Spirit empowering you. Like, I don't even know what I would say, but suddenly I came up with words, right? And, and he's, he's using you. He wants you to be an ambassador for Christ. He's speaking through you. He's not doing that with a weird language. He's doing that with a clarity and an amplification of the truth of Scripture in your life. He empowers us. The Bible says he produces fruit in our lives. Galatians says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So these are things that I cannot just gen up on my own, but it's godliness. It's me representing and becoming more and more like Christ. Well, the Holy Spirit does that work in me. He empowers that in me. So I'm able to change and be who Christ has called me to be in ways that I could have never done on my own. He gives us fruit. And then the Bible says the Holy Spirit gives us courage, right? I know that I got to do something. It's been on my mind for a long time. It's a relationship. It's a life move. It's a responding to a calling, whatever it is. But when I think about it, it scares me, frankly. When I think about the ramifications, it scares me. When, when I think about taking the leap, it scares me. And, and I need courage, right? Right? And so the, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will do that 
He'll, he'll give us courage to act in godliness the way that he wants us to, right? So it's that kind of stuff. And there's more. I, we, could, we could literally spend the year just talking about what the Holy Spirit does and doesn't do. But it's things like that that he's going to show up in your life. He's, he's not going to be like this set of facts that you learned about in Sunday school one time. Nor is he going to be this like odd set of experiences or you having a personal dial up with God. It's going to be things like that. The, the Holy Spirit is never going to lead you outside the confines of Scripture. Never. Right? So it, it's going to be within the Scripture. I had a guy one time tell me that the Holy Spirit told him to divorce his wife. I was like, no, he didn't. <laughs> that didn't happen. That wasn't the Holy Spirit. Maybe another spirit. But it wasn't that, right? It's always going to be within Scripture. You're always going to want to take that, and you're always going to surround it with wise counsel, right? Hey, I feel led this way, or I'm thinking this way. You look to spiritual leaders, friends who also walk with the Lord. You guys sense that or see that in me at all? 99% of the time when the Holy Spirit leads you, he's going to sound like the Bible. This verse or this passage is going to be on your mind, and you realize, man, maybe the Lord's asking me to implement that in a unique way. Seek wise counsel. It's going to look like that. It's not going to look like that, and it's not going to look like that. It's chocolate milk. It's not chocolate and milk being closer together. It's God penetrating my life and heart and mind and me becoming a person who, is, who operates differently, who functions differently, who values differently because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit of God, okay? All right, I, was, I wanted to give you guys some, um, some handles to grab and, and to maybe pray through this, this weekend. So what I did, I went, I went into the, the New Testament, and I wanted to see if there was like some major threads or characteristics of how the Holy Spirit works there. And so I, I identified some, and maybe these could be like basis of our prayers, right? So... Uh, one of the things that you'll find the Holy Spirit does a lot in the New Testament is he gives courage, courage. So it's fascinating. When you read the book of Acts and you read the apostles, other places, uh, rarely did the early church pray to get out of circumstances. Mostly they prayed that they would have the courage to face them and accomplish what God wanted them to accomplish. So they didn't really pray much for their problems to go away. They prayed that God would give them the courage to testify and, and praise Jesus and proclaim him in the midst of their problems. So maybe there's something that you're facing and it scares you. And it's a, it's a relationship, it's, it's, a, it's an act of obedience, it's another step, and you need courage. It would be very appropriate for you to interact with the Holy Spirit and ask him to help you find the courage and act in the courage to do what God has called you to do. So you'll see that a lot. Another thing that you see a lot uh, in the New Testament is you'll see the Holy Spirit convicting people of sin. And so maybe there's a sin in your life and it's a sin that you've struggled with for a long time and it's the one that's in the forefront of your mind, right? And you look and say, I, I realize that this habit, this sin, this attitude it is distancing me from God and from my neighbor. And, and I'm convicted about it. And I, I, frankly, I've just been stubborn about it, right? So God has convicted you. The Bible says we confess that sin. We even confess it to one another, right? So that that is removed from our relationship with God and from each other. So I might pray for courage to confess and act, you know, those kind of things. But the reason why that doesn't go away is not because God is tormenting you. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. It's because God loves you and he's convicting you. The whole, that's the Holy Spirit that's bugging you about those things. So I found courage a lot. I found conviction as a theme the other theme that I, I found pretty predominant in the New Testament was the idea of, of confidence. And so I, I call this a Holy Spirit confidence. Um, 
Let me describe it to you. I, I was talking to some of our young leaders this week, and uh, they were asking me about how we make decisions at the church, right? So they're like, hey, Jeff, you're in charge of the church, right? And so how do you make a decision? How do you decide that we're gonna open this campus or do this thing? And, you know, just, you know, just talking through that process. And so I told them, I said, you know, we're, we, would, we would make decisions a lot like a, a business person would or a, a, a family would. We're gonna, like, gather our facts. We're gonna... Sometimes we'll do like a market research. Is that what the community is asking for? We're going to run the financial numbers. Like, is it affordable? All those kind of things. Like, we're going to do that due diligence. And I told them, once we do that, then it, then it becomes a very spiritual decision because as leaders of the church, we're primarily followers of Jesus, not leaders. So we need to understand where God is leading us and what he wants, Right? If you can budget it, plan it, schedule it, and execute it, you don't need Jesus involved, right? Any business can do that. So, so we, we want to invite God into that process. So they were like, how do you do that? I said, well, we pray a lot. Uh, I'll ask the elders to pray with us. We'll cast that. We would say we cast a vision to the people. If God unites us then that helps us to know, right? So you think about like invite and invest where we're doing this, the, you know, the sports ministries and the, the opioid rehab. Like we're gonna kind of throw that out there and be like, what do you, you guys see this too? Like we're gonna kind of go through those processes. And then this one kid that's really sharp, but he's a smart aleck, so I fired him for this. But, but he, he looked at me and he said, but don't you ultimately have to decide? He's like, aren't you like, the boss, and, and don't, don't you ultimately have to decide? I said, I guess maybe you're right about that. He said, how do you know ultimately that that's what, I mean, you're gonna stand in front of all these people and say, God wants us to. He's like, how do you know that? And I looked at him and I said, you know, ultimately I, I just get a Holy Spirit confidence. I know that I know that I know that I know. And I'll kind of die for it. Right? And you can look and say, well, if you do this, there's all these ramifications. I know that. If you do this, there's all these risks. Well, I know that. If it doesn't work, this will be the fallout. I know that. I'm not dumb. I'm not naive and I'm not acting on a whim. I know that the Holy Spirit is leading me and, and I know that if I don't do what he's leading me to do, that now I'm disobeying God. And I'm confident enough in that that I'll pay whatever price tags are out there. Now that, that's, a, that's a big example. That happens to you all the time, right? How do you, how do you know? You know, how, how, do, you, how do you know that that you're supposed to interact with this person or begin fostering these kids or adopt these children or give money to this or leave your career and go into ministry? Or how do you know that stuff? Well, ultimately, if you can do all the math on that, then you don't need God involved. Ultimately, through prayer and wise counsel, I cannot overemphasize that. Ultimately, through prayer and wise counsel, you would look and say, I, I, I know, I know. What about all these things? I know, but God is calling me and, and these other people are affirming that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not doing this weird stuff, but I'm also not tuning it out over here. It, I'm chocolate milk. It's a different thing, see, so I see confidence, I see courage, I see conviction. The other thing I saw a lot when I was looking at these threads was the idea of change, change. And maybe you're listening this weekend and you look and say, I need to change. Maybe that's why you came to church. I need to change. Like, like this, this temper of mine is destroying people that I love. I need to change. Well, fruit of the spirit, one of them is self-control. Because if you could have controlled it, you would have done it by now, right? It, like God needs to do something different. 
I'm cynical and I'm pessimistic and I'm kind of bitter toward these people and it's affecting my family and my marriage. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. He can, he can change that in our life. I'm, I'm anxious, I'm so nervous and you know, what's happening in the country and all this. One of the fruits of the Spirit is peace. You know, like a peace that God's just bigger than all that. So sometimes when we need to change, it would be very appropriate to, to ask the Spirit of God to like grow that fruit in a, in a stronger way in, in my life, right? So it's things like that. And there, there's a gazillion things more. But just as you're praying and you're getting your head around it and you're, you're understanding what it means to walk in and with the Spirit, it's going to be that way, not not that extreme, not at that extreme. It's going to be like the chocolate milk way where the Holy Spirit changed me and affected me and made me into something different. And now I kind of operate and move in, in paths that are, that are like that. Okay. All right. That's the band to come out and settle in. Why don't we bow our heads and pray for a minute? And uh, even if you're watching online, why don't you take a second and just be with God for a minute. Let's, let's pause in the middle of the chaos. Why don't you talk to God, right? And ask him to, to teach you these things and show you these things and, and be a part of it, okay? So I'll pray and then you can do it. Jesus, help us with this. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for the ways that you work in our lives Help us to recognize that, lean into that more and more and really get kind of our, our hearts and our head around what it means to walk with you and to journey through life with you. Help us to, to translate and properly position the extremes, but also, Lord, to, to be the chocolate milk, you know, to, to really get a hold of the wonder of what it is that you would be with us and a part of our lives and in us and that spiritual reality and how deeply and profoundly that can change us. So just minister to us in that way, reveal yourself to us in that way and begin to do that in real time even now.